to talk about a subject uh, that I don't recall speaking about uh, in a long time. Um, sometimes you will hear us say or me say uh, in something that I'm talking about the term common grace. And it's easily, easy for uh, us to assume that we all know what certain terms mean. Uh, uh, we often take it for granted that we all, all understand, and I don't remember talking about this a particular doctrine, a very important doctrine, uh, in a very long time. And so I thought I would take the opportunity uh, tonight to consider the topic of common grace. You know, it is our pattern and our preference, my preference, Pastor Justin's preference, uh, to, to speak... Uh, uh, expositionally through a passage of Scripture, and that's what we normally do, and we don't usually uh, take up a, a topic like this uh, just kind of standing on its own, but uh, I would like to do that uh, tonight and talk about this important doctrine. It is important because this doctrine touches your life every minute of every day from the time you are born until you leave this world, you die and leave this world. Uh, it is important because it uh, informs our thinking about this world that we live in and how we can view it more accurately and how we can understand it better to the glory of God. It is important because its implications place on us some very profound and significant practical Christian responsibilities and duties that come to us because of this doctrine. It is not a matter of secondary uh, importance. It is whether you are aware of it or, or not. It is at the very center uh, of your life. And so I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about this doctrine of common grace. Now, First question I want to ask is just what does this term mean? Um, we need to begin by making a distinction between special grace, which saves, and common grace, which does not save. When we say that we are saved by grace, we use that, that terminology from time to time. We are referring to the special grace of God, which comes to us and makes us spiritually alive. Special grace causes us to be born again. Special grace gives us the gifts of faith and repentance. Special grace does not come to every single person, for if it did, every single person would be saved. Every single person would be a, a Christian person. Special grace is a distinctly Christian grace. Common grace, on the other hand, does come to every person. Common grace uh, is the patience and kindness of God that reaches to and touches every person that ever lives. It is called common for this reason because it does reach every person, because it is universal uh, in its reach, reaching to every person and also to every living creature uh, in this world. And it is, called, it is called grace because it is undeserved and it is given to us by our gracious God. Common grace affects both believers and unbelievers. One definition of common grace is this. The grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. 
Another definition is this. Every favor of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 145, there's a classic statement about common grace. I would suggest to you in Psalm 145. I'm going to read verse 9 and then verses 14 through 17. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. And then down in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling. Raises up all who are, who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. And kind in all of his works. And so here we, we see the psalmist talking about uh, the broad scope in which our God uh, acts in kindness to creatures and to all of his creation, man and creatures as well. Now, common grace answers two important questions for us. The first one is this. We believe that the Bible teaches total depravity. Uh, total depravity does not mean that we are completely or uh, totally as depraved as we possibly could be. Total depravity means that there is no part of us that has escaped the effects of sin. And we are depraved in every part of our being. And in that sense, it is total. But that raises this rather obvious question. If we are depraved, why are we not as depraved? as we might be, or as depraved as we could be. What keeps our depravity to some degree checked and restrained? Why is this world not uh, so much worse than it is? And we look around it and sometimes we feel like our world is falling apart. It is pretty bad. But our world is not as bad as it could be. And I would suggest that even we, we probably don't even live in the worst of times that this world is ever seen. But the answer to those questions is very, very simply this. It is the common grace of God that answers that question. Second question is, how is it that we as fallen human beings ever experience anything good? If we are sinners under condemnation and disfavor, then why is there any pleasure and happiness and success to any degree in this world? How do fallen, depraved men do anything that is good? How do they find cures for terrible diseases? How do they make things that are, that are beautiful? Um, again, the answer is the common grace of God. God's common grace enters the world after the fall. And I would suggest that we see it in three ways. We see it in the patience and restraint of God towards sinners. Secondly, we see it, we see those general operations of the Holy Spirit whereby he exercises such a moral influence on mankind that sin is restrained, order is maintained in society, in social life, 
and civil righteousness is promoted. And third, we see it when we see just the general blessings which God imparts to all men without distinction. Let's talk about these things. First of all, God's patience and his restraint. What does God say in the garden? Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that ye eat of it you shall surely die. Now let me ask you, when Adam ate of this tree that he was forbidden to eat from, did he immediately die? And of course the answer is no, he did not. Well, we could say yes and no, actually is the answer. Yes, Spiritually, he immediately enters the darkness of spiritual death, and his only hope of salvation is to be born from above and made alive through the special grace of God. But no, he is not immediately brought to physical death. He is not utterly destroyed right there on the spot. But yes, we could say his body immediately starts the process of dying, it now being subject to disease and age and death. But why is he not immediately destroyed? I suggest to you that it is the common grace of God that we see uh, in God's restraint and in his patience, even with this first man, Adam. It is because God has an undeserved disposition of patience towards him. God defers judgment and wrath. God shows forbearance towards mankind from the very beginning of time. Now, let me ask you, where would we be if God did not show this common grace to Adam? We would not be here. We'd be nowhere. Uh, there wouldn't be a us. We wouldn't exist at all. It is common grace that actually makes room for human history. We need to see how really big common grace is. All of human history is the gracious delay of final judgment. All of it from the first day until the last day that is some point uh, in our future. And so right here at the beginning of this world as we know it, there is an important connection between the special saving grace of God and His common grace. The special saving grace of God is going to come to a great multitude of people, but they have to be born over the course of time. And salvation is going to come specifically in what way? It's going to come through the coming of God's Son into this world. And it all depends on this from first to last. The common grace of God in patience and restraint towards sinners. Let me ask you, how many times in your life, especially before you became a Christian, did you give God reason to lose all of His patience with you. Aren't you thankful for the common grace of God that is patient and shows restraint towards sinners? Now, we see this in Adam. We see it also with Noah. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. 
Genesis chapter 6. And look with me at verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me ask you, what kind of grace is this for Noah? Is it common grace or is it special grace? I would suggest to you that this is the special grace of God. He is not extending this favor, this graciousness to all mankind. In fact, what is he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to kill all but eight souls here on the earth. Now turn over to chapter 8 and verse 21. And now we're, we're past the flood. I want you to look at verses 21 and, chapter, uh, verses 21 and 22 of chapter 8. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now let me ask you, is this common grace or special grace? This is the common grace of God that we see here. Now one of the things that's very interesting is, in chapter 6, verse 5, the evil, depraved heart of men is the cause of God's commitment to judgment. But here in chapter 8, verse 21, it is the evil, depraved heart of men that is the cause of his commitment to common grace. In verse 21, you'll see he doesn't say in verse 21 that now that I've wiped out the earth, people are going to be good from now on and everything's going to be different. What he says instead is, is that man's heart is still going to be continually evil. But because of that, I am going to commit myself from now to the end of time that I will never deal with mankind and the creatures of the earth in this way again. I will have common grace uh, for, uh, all, for all creatures uh, from this point and forward in time. And the covenant of Noah is sometimes referred to as the covenant of common grace. And I think it's easy to see why. Let me give you a, a few other reasons for looking at this covenant in that way. There is, of course, the well-known promise to not destroy the world by flood, which is certainly the common grace of God. It not only extends to all people, but to all the creatures on the earth as well. But what other provisions are there in the covenant with Noah? There is this covenant uh, for, the, for, the, for the protection of mankind. Animals will fear and avoid men. From this point forward. And so something has changed here uh, with the covenant with Noah. Animals are not going to be uh, as aggressive uh, as they were before the flood. They're going to be restrained uh, as God's common grace for the protection of mankind. Animals will now be food for men, not just vegetation, but from this point on, animals 
are uh, there for mankind to eat as well. That begins here with this covenant, another promotion of human life. God promises that nature will not be further cursed and that its good cycles will continue. Seed time and harvest, summer and winter will not cease. We hear echoes of this in the New Testament in Matthew 5, 45, when God says that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That is the covenant with Noah at work. Society will be, because of this covenant, ordered for the protection of life. Capital punishment is established here in this covenant with Noah. It is now the responsibility of each person, both personally and all persons collectively through civil government, to protect and to preserve human life under the threat of the most severe consequences. And this protection of common grace is what Paul has in mind when he says, If you do wrong, be afraid, for he, that is the government, does not bear the sword in vain, Romans 13, 4. Peter's speaking about the flood and this present post-flood world in which we live says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is, I would suggest to you, the common grace of God. And so the first thing we see is patience and restraint towards sinners. The second thing we see in common grace is sin is restrained, order is maintained in social life, and civil righteousness is promoted. Now, we just saw that with the covenant of Noah. God uses civil government to order society, and to restrain bad conduct. Now, we see a lot of trouble in the world around us. But let me ask you, how much worse do you think this world would be if there was no Nash County Sheriff, if there was no Rocky Mount Police, if there was no courthouse in Nashville and no judges there handing down sentences, if there were no courts, no jails, no prisons, All of those things that come to us through common grace are a restraint to society and 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 it restrains bad conduct. But there is more to it than just these external restraints, as important as they are. And I would hate to think what Rocky Mount would be be like by this time tomorrow if all those things were removed. It would be truly awful, I would suggest. But there is also the matter of conscience, and morality and ethics, matters of the heart and mind that affect all people, not just Christian people. These things at work in every human heart suppress evil and place boundaries on conduct. And we need to understand that Christ is Lord over everything. It does not matter whether you are a Christian or not. Christ is Lord. I think it was Abraham Kuyper that said, Christ can look at anything in this universe and say, this is mine. And the providence of God extends to all things, even the little birds hopping from limb to limb in the trees. The Holy Spirit is at work in all that happens in this world. Nothing is outside of his influence. And when God says to any person, Christian or or unbeliever, 
that you can go this far and no further, that is what happens. And it is the common grace of God that sets bounds and limits on this world and on conduct and on behavior. And it is not just for Christian people. It is for all men. And so society is not as bad as it could be. Civil, civil government promotes justice in the world, a justice that we know is flawed. There's not equity as it ought to be. That's going to come when Christ comes back. You know, one of the things the Old Testament prophets, I was reading it one day, and it just kind of hit me. One of the things that the Old Testament prophets talk about when they talk about Messiah and him coming into this world is that he will judge with equity. How important is that when we look at the world we live in now? But civil government does promote justice in the world, and sin is restrained. It is common grace at work. Now, the third thing is the general blessings which God imparts to all men without distinction. In common grace, there will be seed time and harvest. God feeds this world every day and animal life as well as mankind. He graciously meets our needs for food and shelter and clothing. And he does it with abundance and goodness. Do any of you have a dog? Do you feed him the same thing every day? Many people do. I know my daughter uh, gives two scoops of this really nasty looking stuff (laughs) twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And a lot of people have their dogs on a strict diet they get exactly the same thing every day you know what those dogs when they get it they're so happy they're so glad to get it and 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 you know god could do that with us to meet our needs but instead the world of food is rich and lush and endless in its variety And God is good in common grace uh, to mankind. Look over with me to Acts 14. I want to show you two verses there, verses 16 and 17. Acts chapter 14. Verses 16 and 17. Paul says, in past generations... He, that is God, allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. All the nations that didn't know Jehovah were not without a witness from him. He gave them Food and gladness, even though they didn't know the true God. It was the common grace of God at work. And this same principle principle applies to all aspects of human life. Science, medicine, industry, education, the arts, recreation, charity. All of these things are... Or within this work of God in this world, uh, the common grace of God bringing good things into the life of mankind. If you need serious, complicated surgery, 
And the best surgeon for what you need in this area happens to be a Hindu. And the Christian doctor that might do your surgery has a kind of okay record and reputation. Which doctor are you going to go to? I trust that we're going to go to the one that by the common grace of God has been best prepared to meet our need. And that that's what we would in fact do. And uh, I would suggest that that is the goodness of God that we have, uh, even among people that are, are, are not believers, that are unregenerate, that don't know God, we, have, uh, we see great uh, talent and, and, and ability among men and women of this world. God gives good gifts to all men without distinction. And let me remind you that when God brings gifted people into the life of the church, people that we appreciate and that do us good, uh, when he brings gifted people into the life of his church, they come with gifts that they had before they were converted. Most of the gifts that they use in Christ's church are things that they were born with, things that God gave them from, uh, from their birth and before the times that they became Christians. Only now as Christians, they are more useful and valuable than they ever would be outside of Christ's church. But nevertheless, God without discrimination and without distinction, gives good gifts to men. And so I want to give you three implications of this doctrine. This common grace that we see in the world. And the first is this. We should have a deep appreciation for human achievement. And why should we do that? Because, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. How do you have people who are not Christians who perform acts of kindness? Why are there people who are not Christians who are a real joy to be around? How do you explain the fact that there are some really nice people in the world that are not believers in our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is not to deny the reality of total depravity. The answer is to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in every person in common grace. Turn with me to Exodus 31. Exodus chapter 31. I want us to read verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And notice what he says. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamash, of this tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability 
that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, do we think that every person that worked on the furnishings of the temple and the furniture and the temple itself, all the stuff that was made, the tabernacle in this case, and all the things that were made, all the tapestries, all the workmanship, all the beauty that we see in the tabernacle, do we think that all of those men were born again, Christian men? I would suggest to you that they were not. But where did they get the ability? Where did they get the knowledge? Where did they get the skill, the craftsmanship? It is attributed directly to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives and hearts of these men. And so I would suggest to you that it is the Holy Spirit that equips any and every person that has talent or skill or ability, or intelligence, or gifts of every sort that, that we see uh, in the world around us. That is the work of God in the lives and persons of mankind. It is the work of God. Abraham Kuyper says this, God is glorified in the total development toward which, towards which human life and power over nature gradually march on under the guardianship of common grace. And I would suggest to you that that is exactly right. And so we see great minds. We see great success. We see great achievements. And when people of this world make things that are beautiful or when they make things that are excellent, God did that. And we don't need to be overly critical and suspicious of everything that we see that might look like it's that it could be good. We need to be discerning, yes, this world is certainly full of evil. But we can enjoy and appreciate the good things around us because they are from the hand of God. And so we should appreciate what we see in human development and achievement and excellent because it is the glory of our God at work in common grace. Do you love your iPhone or your smartphone? Thank God for it, because he made it. Second implication. Second implication is benevolence. The common grace of God is not a mere sentiment. It is not cosmic well-wishing. But it is the actual doing of good and the actual giving of of good gifts. And the church is to reflect God's benevolence by the doing of actual good in the world. We are to demonstrate that we are the sons of God by the way we act, imitating this God who is good to all men. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. I want to look at two verses in the New Testament. Matthew 5:16. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then over in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, 
I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you with the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But if you lend to those from whom you expect, from, from whom you expect to receive, what, is credit, what, is, what does that credit you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now this is the common grace of God that we are to display. Doing good without discrimination to those that love us and to those that hate us. We are to act like God doing good to the undeserving and the hateful. Not an easy thing to do, is it? But that is what this doctrine calls us to do to the glory of God. God's common grace calls us calls us to common grace to others as well. And then the last implication I want to bring to your attention from this doctrine is gospel preaching. The scriptures directly speak about common grace in connection to gospel preaching. Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. When God as a matter of command tells all men without restriction and without exception to repent, we cannot draw any conclusion uh, but that it would please the God of heaven for each and every person to repent, and that he has a kind disposition towards the repentant. God would never command anything that was contrary to his good pleasure. And let me interject an observation for all of us. We often speak about the gospel as an invitation, and it is an invitation. In fact, it is a tender and earnest and sweet invitation to come to Christ. Paul says that when gospel ministers preach, it is as if God himself was pleading with sinners, begging them to repent. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But there is something that we also need to understand about the gospel. God has issued a gracious command to everyone to repent. Not a suggestion, not a warm thought or wish, but a command to be obeyed. And if you are not a Christian... If you've not repented and believed in Christ, you're in direct disobedience to this direct command that God has given to you specifically and individually, not to someone else, not to people in general, but to you to repent and to believe. Common grace of God commands you uh, to believe and to repent. But not only does God in common grace command every person to repent, but God also commands His elect he commands those who are the objects of his special saving grace 
to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A truly, a truly marvelous display of the common grace and kindness of God. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, who, speaking of God, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And dear ones, wherever the sun shines or the rain falls, by the common grace of God, the common grace of gospel preaching is to be there as well. Wherever God in common grace makes it rain, the gospel is to be preached to all people there as well. In the common grace of God, which provides for the needs of all creation, there's no discrimination on the account of sex or age or culture or geographic location or race or any other distinction. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so it is to be with the gospel. Each and every human being is to be offered Jesus Christ through the gospel. And that is our implication from the doctrine of common grace, to be benevolent, to preach the gospel to everyone, to see the glory of God in all the goodness and excellence that we see in this world. One last comment about common grace and the gospel. I would ask you to turn to Romans chapter 2. I would suggest to you that this is really, really important in connection with common grace and the gospel. The common grace of God places a special opportunity and a special burden on every person that is not a Christian. Look with me here at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Let's pause for a moment. That's a definition of common grace. God's patience, his forbearance, his kindness. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The opportunity that every single aspect of common grace is leading us to, calling us to, prompting us to, is to repent and to be saved. This, this verse tells us that the kindness of God, His patience, this activity of common grace in the world is to lead us to repentance. Did you eat lunch today? Every bite of food was calling you to believe in Christ. Are you able to take a deep breath? It's hard. <laughs> Every breath is pointing you to Jesus. But this is so serious because every bite of food and every breath you're taking is doing something else. Look at the very next verse, verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Every bite you eat 
And every breath you take is storing up more and more and more judgment if you're not a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. The common grace of God is screaming at you nonstop, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, to be saved. The patience of God, His kindness, His forbearance is leading you to something that is much better than common grace and the good gifts that we have in common grace. It is leading you to salvation in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. And so common grace is a powerful message to all of us to believe and to be saved. Let's close with a word of prayer.